Buzz OPBC Online, a ministry of Old Pass Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota. Coming to you live here on this Monday afternoon at 2.04 p.m. Central Time. And uh, we are uh, still kicking. Man, I'll tell you, Saturday night was a... I don't know if you saw the footage there, but Saturday night was a little rough out there. Uh, the police gave us a hard time. They detained Brother Garrick. Didn't arrest him, but detained him. And um, the cop had what I like to call John Wayne syndrome. And uh rock concert is blasting in the tent behind us. And the cop wants to shut down the amp, says he has an ordinance. And he's going to shut it down. And he's got to shut it down. And all this other stuff. and. Basically, we told them that it's unconstitutional for you to shut down our amp, and when when there's when the ambient noise around us is so extremely loud, we can't be heard, and it still is America. We still do have a right to be heard. We do have a First Amendment here that it was that uh, is something that is recognizing God's free speech that He gives all men. So I don't want you to be confused. We don't believe that the that that the right to speak comes from the government. The right to speak comes from God. The United States uh First Amendment recognizes that it is an inalienable right is it, it is an inalienable right given by God for men to speak. So we don't derive our permission to speak from the Constitution. Or from the the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights recognizes the right of free speech of all men to stand up. See, I'm not a reformer. I don't believe that certain people have the right to speak and others don't. Right? But, anyway... Uh, we know what we know what the scriptures say, and uh, we understand the this day and age that we live in right now, and where we're headed to, and we are definitely headed for some crazy times. And um, you know, uh, as as time goes by. Okay. Anyway, um, so you pray for us. And as we, we're going to have to fight that in court. We are going to have to challenge that in court. And uh, it's going to get interesting. Uh, the guy, yeah, well, people that are about ready. Hey, let me tell you something. People that are about in authority, they're about ready to mess you over. They always lie to you and say they like what you're saying and that they agree with you. Then they're getting ready to mess you over. That's what they're getting ready to do. Every time I've ever been severely abused or deprived of rights or anything like that, nine times out of ten, it is a professing Christian that does it. In America... um, Professing, it's like that cop walked up to me when I said, 
and said to me, look, didn't God say, didn't Jesus say, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? And I was like, yeah, hey, guess what? The apostles looked at him and said, we would obey God rather than man. Preaching doesn't belong to Caesar. Preaching belongs to God. Caesar doesn't own preaching. Like I said, they might they might take our money. They can have it, whatever. I don't care about money. But as far as as far as preaching goes, if you're going you can just go ahead and whack our heads off if that's what you're going to do, but you're not going to shut us up. We're not going to stop preaching. We're not going to stop preaching. I don't care about money. You can have it all. I don't care. Whatever. Take it. You're going to take it anyway. But preaching is another thing altogether. Preaching the gospel is another thing altogether. So when it comes to preaching the word of God, we're not, we're not, we're not going to give in to them. And we didn't, and we shut the amp down because we basically had to. We had everything we needed. They, they were like, I told them, you're like a gang of thugs with guns. You're like surrounding us. You're a gang of thugs with guns surrounding us. Some of you are probably like, that's not very nice. Yeah, it's not very nice to shut preachers up. It's not very nice to shut the gospel up and then claim to be Christians. I told them, you're a bunch of stinking thugs with guns is what you are. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself stopping the preaching of God's word. I told him flat out. I told him. You ought to be ashamed. One guy was like, oh, man. You need to... They wanted us they wanted us arrested. I was like, he can't arrest me. He'd like to. He'd like to throw me in that car, take me down the road, and beat me is what he'd like to do. Yep. So anyway, maybe they'll we're we're gonna sue him. We're gonna have to. But we're not going to make any money on it. We don't get any money for it. We're not trying to. We don't care about money. Anyway, that is nothing. If you if you let them get away with that, they'll they'll keep doing. It. So anyway, I'll save that maybe for Wednesday's broadcast. Maybe I'll do something different. I'll have Andrew get the footage ready. And we'll deal with the cops. We'll deal with a number of in instances, actually. I think I'll have a street preaching broadcast on Wednesday. Break it up a little bit here from our Pentecostal history here. And, and we'll do that. And uh, I'll get some footage. I'll have Andrew get the footage ready. Uh, with some of the false converts that were out there, too, that aren't saved. That thought they were, that thought they were, they were saved but they don't even understand what the gospel is. 
Look, if your gospel starts out with God loves everybody, I suspect that you're not a Christian. Now, I understand that people don't understand everything about that topic. Um, you can be saved and be wrong. We all are at times wrong. Okay, so I get that. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody for the sake of picking on them. But I'll explain it on Wednesday. We'll save it for then. I'll walk you through these scenarios. I think it's very profitable to help you. And maybe, just maybe, it'll be a blessing to my Scottish friend over in Scotland, Brother Ross. Maybe, just maybe. Or maybe he'll think I'm just really crazy because I was surrounded by a bunch of cops. <laughs> oh, anyway, my as you can tell, my voice is a little uh, rough. Well, here's what happened, and I'll show you on Wednesday, but the reason why my voice is really rough is because when the cops shut our... When the cops shut our amp down, then Brother Miller looked at me and goes, Brother, I'm not telling you what to do. But he said, you guys have been really nice. You always stand outside of the events. You always try not to be on top of people. But he said, they just shut your amp down. And... You really, he, in so many words, basically said, you really don't have much of a choice. I said, you know what? I prayed about it on the way over there. I was like, Lord, am am I being hasty here with this? And I didn't believe the Lord was upset with me at all for doing it. I went right. I said, let's go. We're going right in the middle of that thing. Because, because we can't be heard. And I've tried to do that. And I told them, courtesy of the Anoka Police Department, I told the guys I'm going to tell them that from now on, every time I go to that event, I'm going right up to that event. You know, right, I'm going right up to that event, and I'm going right to, and we go right to the edge of it on that. But we went right up in the middle where that was at there, and we we still stayed on the edge. We were still polite. We could have certainly went right in the middle. But we went right up to it, and I preached louder than I've ever preached in my life. I had no amp, and I just bellowed it out. I just, I bellowed it out, man. I just let it go. And I knew it was good. I was going to be hurting a little bit from it, but I just did right from my diaphragm. I just let it go. And uh, we let him have it with the gospel. And so anyway, we're we're going to deal with the police uh, on that legally. We're going to have we have to. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We have to deal with the police. So uh, through the through the uh, law enforcement you know, or through the legal system, we just don't have a choice. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that um, 
on Wednesday, okay? We'll save that for then. I want to talk to you about... So anyway, oh, and I actually gargled also. I had to gargle with, for this broadcast, I gargled. I did crack slightly, Ross, uh, Carl. I did. I did. Because, yeah, I was trying to be really loud. But, yeah, you're right. I did crack a little. That's, that's correct. Which doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. But I did. It was kind of rough, man. So. All right, everybody. Well, we are going to get back into this whole... So I had to gargle. I gargled. With straight cayenne. 350,000 heat units. And was that hot right before I got on this broadcast. I gargled. 350,000 heat units. Boy. I'm telling you. It was hot. All right. Yeah, they are. They are used to it. They they are. Got like a leather throat, but it's gotten stronger over the years. My voice and everything has gotten a lot stronger over the years. Uh you listen to my first sermons, like if you go back, like some of those sermons that are posted, there's some old ones. That are from like 2000. They're like from before 2000. They're like 10. They're like 15 years ago. Or like, yeah, like, no, not quite. Yeah, maybe there might be a few that are 13 years, 14 years. Maybe 15, yeah. And man, my voice is not deep. It's, it's, it's gotten a lot deeper. So, what do you mean you don't see anything on the video? What in the world is Leno talking about, man? I don't know. Okay, anyway. I see it streaming. Yeah, it's streaming good. 
All right, everybody. Let's get into this charismatic movement here. The history of tongues. The pre-charismatic tongues. Okay. And um, we are going to talk about that. Yes, Michelle, I got my big boy voice. That's what happened. I got my big boy voice. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. He is one of those India computer scammer guys. Is he looking at me right now going, oh, I want you to be calling me. He's sending me your bank account number. Please do it immediately. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do good invitations right now. My voice is strained. <laughs> He's going to tell me my computer has a virus. Sorry, I can't do it. My, my voice is strained. I can't get it down. That's okay. I'll save the I'll save it for later. I don't want to wear out my voice. It's already wore out enough. <laughs> oh, anyway. All right, everybody. Let's get to it here. We are going to introduce uh some more characters in this history. People need to wonder. I do sound Scottish. Rowley. Leno Paul, do you sound like a Brit? I'm just curious. Okay. Anyway, we'll get to it here. Let's get moving here. All right, we finished up. And we were talking about the Shakers, right? That's where we were at. We were talking about the Shakers earlier. And we discussed... Uh, we, we finished off with them crazy shakers. Remember how weird that lady? Oh, yeah. Nobody. Who forgets that lady right there? That lady right there. Can you believe thousands of people followed that lady? I just for the life of me. And for all the pizza in New York, I can't figure out how anybody followed that lady. But anyway, they did. So I digress. That's one of those really big words I heard. One. Anyway, um. So, these, now we're going to move on to the movements that preceded the advent of Pentecostalism. Again, this is found in the history of the Pentecostal charismatic movements. Very good book by David Cloud. Yeah, they were an offshoot, Jody Hammond. Okay. So there's a the next group is an important group.
And that would be the holiness movement. This movement, the Wesleyan holiness movement. Now, it is true that John Wesley did some good, but he did a lot of bad too. John Wesley did a lot of bad too. And the offshoots that came from him were not good either. Whitfield was Whitfield was wise. to separate from Wesley. But in the same right, Whitfield, he was not solid on the local New Testament church. It took a Baptist convert, a convert that became a Baptist, Whitfield would say, all my chicks have turned to ducks. And I know a little bit about Wesley. I, I'll tell you one really good lecture was done by Charles Spurgeon. It was called The Two Wesleys. It was very good. In fact, I recommend that you read that. It'll give you a good understanding of their doctrine. So the holiness movement was known as the Wesleyan holiness movement. It was the most direct forerunner of Pentecostalism. Influential leaders such as evangelist Charles Finney, who was an absolute heretic. The modern-day Pelagian street preachers like Jesse Morrell, Jesse Morrell Mushroom Man. Okay. Um... Others, I can't think of their names, but there's a there's a great number of them. Don't worry, Leno, I'm going to get to it. But you had Charles Finney, who I believe was an absolute heretic. William Booth of the Salvation Army promoted various forms of what's called complete sanctification. You want to know where complete sanctification comes? Heaven. You have complete justification. Now, one day, you will have complete sanctification or entire Sanctification. 
but it is in heaven, not here. The holiness movement, the most direct forerunner of Pentecostalism. They promoted various forms of complete sanctification, claiming that the dedicated believer can experience a condition of sinless perfection in this life. Now, that is a dangerous doctrine to preach to people. Because it is not Holy Spirit driven, it is workspace driven. There is no such thing as entire sanctification in this life or sinless perfectionism. While there was no uniform doctrine, the teaching usually involved the belief that the Christian could experience a second work of grace. You will not find, or a second blessing, you will not find anywhere in the Bible a second work of grace or a second blessing. That is charismatic jargon. And I'm telling you, there are so many street preachers out there that are Pelagians. That believe they are sinless. While they go drink their booze. They are phony, they are false prophets, and they need to be rejected and called out. Reuben Israel was one of them. Who I believe was nothing more than an agent provocateur. Jesse Morell is one of them. I can't think of that. Jacob, if you're listening, what's that other Yehu's name? That's really popular. I can't think of his name. He's a stinking heretic too. A similar doctrine. This this secondary work of grace or a second blessing. Whereby, here's what they believe, whereby the sin nature was either eradicated, there you go, Kerrigan Scully, Scully, I know it's Skelly, but I call him Scully, and Jed Smock, who is dead in hell, burning in hell and his nasty wife running around speaking her nasty garbages, going to hell too, I believe. Hey, you listen close. I don't care how loud you bang the drum and how loud you preach. If you give the credit for eternal life to yourself or the keeping of it to yourself, you are a very confused person. 
And Jed Smock was nothing more than a Catholic plant. A similar doctrine has been taught in the Methodist denomination, but let me back up here, or a second blessing, they call it, whereby the sin nature was either eradicated or effectively conquered, thus placing the entire sanctified Christian above the normal struggles with sin. That's a lie. Let me tell you what men like Jesse Morell that little rat, and men like him do. In order to believe in sinless perfection, you lower the standard of perfection. Christ is perfection. God and his holy nature is perfection. You have to bring God down to be like you and God's standard to be down like a man in order for you to preach that. And to believe it. And to deceive yourself with it. And that is just good Bible preaching right there. You have to lower God's righteous standard. You bunch of liars. Deceivers. False prophets. Snakes. I don't preach with them. I call them out. I won't preach with them. I don't have no fist bumping uh, relationship with those people. When I, if I see them, I go the other way, or I'll tell them what I really, I'll tell them what I really think about them. A similar doctrine had been taught in the Methodist denomination from its inception. It was called entire sanctification, perfect love, Christian perfection, heart purity, second work of grace, and second blessing. John Wesley taught this doctrine in his popular tract, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. It remains then that Christians are saved in this world from all sin, from all unrighteousness, he said, that they are now in such a sense perfect as not to commit sin and to be freed from evil thoughts and tempers. Really, John, really? Really, John, so you're free from all evil thoughts. Wowzers.
That's a little bit on the incredible side there, John. Right? That's a little bit incredible there, John. Wesley's teaching is still held by the Methodist Church today. They have a statement that says entire sanctification is a state of perfect love, righteousness, and true holiness, which every regenerate believer may obtain by being delivered from the power of sin. This gracious gift may be received in this life both gradually and instantaneously and should be sought earnestly by every child of God. Hey, everyone knows that you ought to sin less. But to claim that you don't sin is a violation of Scripture. You're a liar. And you ought to be afraid of that, by the way. Jesus said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we, John, is including himself. Are you listening, class? John says we. If we. Well, who's we? We be the elect lady. We be the ones that he's writing to. We be like him. The we is Christians. We, we, you understand? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Follow me now, class. Follow me along now. Follow the bouncing Bible ball right here. Are you ready? If we say that we have not sinned, we Make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In your greatest Scottish accent, are you following along with me, Ross? We, 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 we. I think I'm seeing a pattern here. 
think he means us. I think he's talking about us. I'm getting it. I'm getting it, Joey Mac. Are you feeling me, Joey Mac? It's Bible. Follow it down. This is what happens when you just take these verses out of context and you just grab one, rip it, and put it wherever you want to. Right? And then you can claim to be whatever you want to be. Wesley was concerned about the unholy, unconsecrated way that many so-called professing Christians lived in his day, and rightfully so. But the Bible does not support his teaching on perfectionism. The New Testament epistles are written to show the way of spiritual growth and victory in the Christian life. And the apostles never taught the churches to expect sinless perfection. Paul taught the churches to put off the old man. Well, what do you got to put him off for if he's not there? Let's turn there. Ephesians 4. Look at that. We've went through these. Remember how to be filled with the Spirit? I went through these verses with you. That she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Who's he talking to? You. Me. which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. John taught that. Paul taught that. Guess what? Peter taught that. 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, born-again believers, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Wesley's colleague, John Fletcher, called this experience a baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, there, is not, there are not too many doctrines that have been perverted worse than the transitional baptism in the Holy Ghost that took place during the book of Acts on three occasions, I believe it could be four. 
and then never took place again because it wasn't needed. Then you go to Paul in Ephesians and he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's water baptism. That isn't spirit baptism. That was a sign to Israel, a sign to the Jews. It was temporary. It was to be done away with. But they take it and add to it. Many times people try to correct things that are wrong, end up going too far the other way. Bam, got that bug. They end up going too far the other way in correcting it. By the way, all of us have done that. If you're, in any, if you're a preacher at all, in your life, you've overcorrected things. I've done it in the ministry. I overcorrected some things and God dealt with me about it and said, nope, I, God blessed my zeal for what was right. But when you go over and you turn from the right to the left or to the right hand or to the left and you don't walk the straight and narrow, you go too far. And by the way, that deals with the maturity of a Christian. As God matures men, they learn to not to be unstable. They learn not to be to go too far. That's learned through trials, through tribulation, through through uh, chastening of the Lord. You learn that. Wesley's colleague John Fletcher called this experience a baptism in the Holy Spirit and said it brought spiritual power and inner cleansing. He wrote about this in his 1771 book, Checks to Antinomianism. According to Fletcher, this baptism was a second blessing that followed salvation. It was a second baptism for perfection. There is no second blessing for perfection. You don't need it. You need to obey the Lord. If you have the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and weep and mourn, the Bible tells us. It doesn't say that you need to get some second blessing or some second baptism of the Spirit in order to be entirely sanctified. Nonsense. Thousands of Methodists at that time claimed to have received this experience. Just like the Charismatics, they're like, They've, they've received this experience. Right?
And that experience is supposed to have done something for them in a mighty way. And they mock Baptists and they're like, oh, well, have you guys received the, 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 uh, the baptism of the Spirit? Evidenced by the speaking of tongues? No, I didn't receive your demonic spirit. I have the spirit of Christ. I have the Holy Ghost. I've been supernaturally changed by the spirit of God. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a sinless perfection experience that follows salvation. We never see such a thing in the scriptures. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a historic event that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. It was prophesied by Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. John chapter 14, let's go there. Jesus talked about what would happen. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Right? Then John 16. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, we'll send him unto you. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he... The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will show you. For he shall not speak, excuse me, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. Stop. Hold the phone. The Holy Ghost doesn't come to glorify himself. He comes to glorify Christ. When Christ was on earth, he glorified his father in heaven. See how that works? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, shall show it unto you. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. After his resurrection, Jesus told the disciples that the time for its fulfillment was near. 
to Acts chapter 1. I'm telling you, folks, this charismatic nonsense, this lying, this signs and lying wonders, has done more to draw men away from the truth and has built an antichrist religion from partial truths misapplied. Partial truths misapplied are dangerous. Very dangerous. Acts chapter 1. Asking you a question right here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not a baptism of, it's a baptism with. The agent of water baptism is water. The agent of spirit baptism is the Holy Ghost. Baptize with the Holy Ghost. Those that go to hell are baptized with fire. Following me? The baptism with the Holy Ghost occurred on the day of Pentecost in fulfillment of his promise. Those who experienced Pentecost did not have a second spiritual baptism of any sort. There were two other receptions of the Spirit in Acts the Samaritans in Acts 8 and the Gentiles in Acts 10. Why? To show Jews that God was doing the same work, that they were equal. The book of Acts is a transitional book, transitioning between the age of the law and the age of grace. And there are some things in Acts that were temporary. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I don't walk around and burning bushes don't talk to me. I don't walk around and the Red Sea is not split for me. I don't walk around and ravens aren't feeding me. I don't walk around and speak 17 different languages at Pentecost. Why? Those things 
were temporary. I don't walk around and hold a staff up in the air and the sun stood still. Or Moses when he raised the staff in the air, not 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 this, but and the um, and the armies were uh, winning, and then when uh, the staff was lowered, they were losing. I don't run around throwing rods on the ground and they turn into serpents. I don't turn water into blood. I don't raise the dead. I don't feed 5,000. With some loaves and fishes. I don't get taken up by the spirit. Like Philip did. And taken to the eunuch. Or taken to a revival. I didn't get taken by an angel over to visit Brother Ross. I had to take a plane. Right? You following me? Those things are temporary. If they weren't out of the ordinary, if they weren't supernatural, if they were natural, they would have no effect. But they are supernatural because they break the laws of nature. I would love to have an angel fly me over, an angel of the Lord fly me over to see you, Brother Ross. I'd love to do that. I'd like to see you again, Brother Ross, but I really want to go back to that buffet. (laughs) No appetite when I was there. Man, I'm so hungry right now. But those things are all temporary. I've covered this threefold reception before. And we'll probably cover it again because David Cloud has it in his book again on the errors of the of the movement. Man, I kind of want to teach through all of this. I really do. I'll split it up so I don't bore you to death with the same thing over and over again. I'll mix it up. But I kind of want to because I want to thoroughly go through it completely and just destroy that movement with the word of God. There is, by the way, 
When we come to the New Testament epistles, everything is clear. There is zero instructions in the epistles about seeking a second baptism for power or perfection. Zero. Paul taught in Ephesians 1, 12 through 14 that the believer receives the Holy Spirit when he trusts Christ. And he is sealed with the Spirit at that time. Let's look at that. I covered that. Uh, you can go back and listen to my... How many of you have heard our ser my sermons on Ephesians? Have you been listening to those? that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When I say that, I don't mean that in a boastful way, but I honestly believe that if you would like help in growing in your faith, you should sincerely listen to this series. There's 41 messages so far, and I know I'm long-winded. I get it. But there's 41 messages so far in this expository preaching on Ephesians. You ought to listen to these. They are very, in my opinion, they are very spiritually edifying. And I have watched people in our church grow. It's through the preaching of God's word. It's not me. I'm just a vessel. I get it. I'm not trying to take credit. But it's God's word being expounded. Taking our time, going slow, expounding on God's word. I believe it's helpful. Teresa, these are what I preach on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night. They really do help you. They really will help you. I believe that. There's so much there that's rich in, in learning and understanding. But Ephesians, what does he say here? After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Man. Paul gives many instructions about the path of spiritual growth and victory. 
in the Christian life, but he never instructs believers to seek a second baptism. Or a second experience. Listen, a lot of people are confused. But the epistles are directions for the church. They're directions for the Christian believers and how to live this life in the local church. There's pastoral epistles. There's prison epistles. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was given the task of instructing the Gentiles of how to live as Christians, Jew and Gentile together, how to live. And that's what they're supposed to, that, and these are the instructions. Here's what I say to people, and I, and you might call me, oh, you're a, you're a, a, a dispensational. Yes, I am to some point, but I don't fit in their, their plan either perfectly. I honestly don't. That don't fit. I try to follow the scriptures. Where I believe dispensationalists are wrong or certain degrees of it, then I reject it. But things that are written throughout the scriptures that are repeated to Paul that are that Paul repeats in the epistles are directly for you and I. Now that's not a wrong principle. Because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So yeah, but all scripture is given by inspiration. I know, Paul said that, I know. Paul wrote that. So what do you mean? Well, If I'm buying my wife fabric, I don't go back to Old Testament Israel and say, well, I can't have mixed fibers. If I... I don't follow the Old Testament laws for a New Testament Christian. What do I follow? The moral laws that Paul repeats in his epistles. I follow those. Why? Because that's love. John said that's love to obey those commandments. I follow those because they're directly given to me. So the moral laws of holiness and righteousness and separation... But what I don't do is follow the Levitical priesthood. I don't follow Levitical law. See, everybody's a dispensationalist to a point. Everybody is. They have to be. Otherwise, they're going to raise up arms, go start an army, and, and, and go take Jerusalem. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean that I follow everything that Certain teachers teach. I follow the scriptures. But when Paul repeats it, what Jesus said, 
what, what's said in the Old Testament, then I know that him being the apostle to the Gentiles of the local New Testament churches, written to them for their instructions, I get it. So I follow it. There are things that I don't follow from the Old Testament because they're not written to me. Or, excuse me, they're not written, they're written for my admonition, but they're not written to me to, to follow. God's not telling me to go sacrifice a lamb. Jesus already died. Hebrews explains that. When you read the, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get done with this if I keep going. That's okay, I'm still teaching you what you need to hear. But if I look at Hebrews, Hebrews explains to me, what the Old Testament was saying and how that applies to the believer today. Hebrews shows me that. Are you following me? The book of Hebrews shows me that. Amen. Praise the Lord. So anyway, I hope that makes sense to you. Let's keep, we'll keep moving here, okay? You'll get awful mess up if you start trying to be an Old Testament Jew. You're going to get really confused. And you're going to be like Carl. You're not going to get to eat any barbecue. I mean, holy buckets. You're literally going to be like Carl and you're going to be like, no, I shan't have any of that. Then you can't have Jacob and Dave's barbecue ribs. Or you can't have a big old fat barbecue pork sandwich. Like, I wish Ross was here in America right now. I Ross, I'll make you a big old fat pork sandwich. Telling you. The holiness movement expanded greatly through various revivals during the last half of the 1800s. The National Holiness Camp Meeting Association was formed in 1867 and influenced many. Some meetings drew massive crowds in large numbers claimed to have experienced a second blessing of holiness. Man, Ross, I wish you and your wife could fly into Canada, man. Aren't you guys part of the EU? You can go to Canada, can't you? Yeah, Scotland. Man, that'd be awesome if you could fly into Canada, man. We go preaching with that pastor over there, brother. 
I eat pork. Better believe I do. Chicken's okay, but it just ain't pork, man. Oh yeah, I didn't know how that worked. If you guys you guys you guys are different, huh? Oh, that's right. That is different, isn't it? Is Canada the same though? That's I'm curious now. Is that the same? Anyway. All right, next group. We we got through the pre uh the holiness movement. Now are you ready? We're going to go down the timeline to the next group. And that is the Salvation Army. William Booth started that. Here's where the heresy. Here's where the heresy comes in. One of the prominent organizations promoting the holiness doctrine was the Salvation Army. It was founded in 1865 by William Booth, who was formerly a Methodist preacher. The goal was to preach the gospel and to provide social assistance to the needy. The program was called Soup and Salvation. Here's the problem. And here's where you know it had that spirit of Jezebel hovering over it. Did people get saved? I'm sure of it. People get saved in prison, but I don't want to go there. Women were equal to men in leadership. Oh, I like the Salvation Army thrift store. I like them. But see, it didn't start out as a thrift store, Brother Carl. It started out as a movement of preaching to the poor and giving people, homeless people food and all that other stuff and then preaching the gospel. But then they had... They didn't follow the scriptures. They had women in authority, women preachers. Women were equal to men in leadership. One preacher, Harry Ironside. I remember Harry Ironside. I have a lot of books from Harry Ironside. Somewhere. I think I still have them. Commentaries. But Harry Ironside, who wrote many Bible commentaries, encountered the holiness doctrine as a young preacher in the Salvation Army in 1892. 
He had begun preaching full-time at age 16 and was called the boy preacher. I'll show you who he is. He was a good preacher. Again, you're not going to agree with everything, but he was a good preacher. It looks kind of like Jim Vineyard, but he's not. He had begun preaching full-time at age 16. Seeking the experience of entire sanctification. He traveled to a forest and spent some time in fasting and prayer after he had a powerful emotional experience. Listen to me. A powerful emotional experience. He hurried back to the Salvation Army testimony services and told his brethren that he had found it that they should rejoice with him in his newfound sinlessness. Harry Ironside almost went insane. After some days, he fell from his emotional plateau and realize that the struggle with sin was still present. Look what the Bible says, friend. Read your Bible, not just what some man says. Me included, any man. Look, speaking of the Salvation Army, I have literally got brand new clothes from them for a, a tenth of the cost. Literally. You try shopping for uh, brand new clothes for eight children at the store. First of all, you can't find, first of all, you can't find, uh, I have five daughters. You can't, you can't find in the store brand new clothes. You can't find modest clothes for five girls in a store. They don't make it. They don't make in new new clothing stores. They barely make anything modest. That's why my wife sews and makes a lot of the clothes ourselves. Herself. And teaching Mandy how to do it. I prefer her to make, I prefer my wife to make them. Because then we pick out the patterns and the clothes and everything. But anyway, yeah, it, it's hard to find modest clothing for girls. But we make a lot of them ourselves. Well, when I say we, I mean my wife. I don't make anything. But trouble. I make a lot of trouble. I make a lot of messes. 
Yep, that's right, Becca. I remember that, Jack. And I was we were with you guys that time. Well, we were with both of you. You're not a guy. We were with Dave and you. I, I, I hate doing that to girl. I, I say guy when I say guys, I hate doing that. I always try to correct that. It's like you're not they're not guys. One's a guy, one's not. But anyway, I'm not offended if anybody else doesn't do that. I'm not telling people what to do. But, you know, we have to, we, you have to shop. You got to, when you have a big family like that, you got to shop. But I do. God blesses us. But I like buying, I like buying certain material that I want my wife and daughters to wear. Like, or if they like something. And then I, I have them order it. Because I like to see it. When I was over in England, I asked my wife and she was already busy. But she made all of those girls uh, culottes and, uh, and made all of them for, for our vacation when we came home. And they all had like matching patterns and stuff. It was pretty but anyway. Um, but the Salvation Army, okay. Uh, let me get back to this. Romans chapter 7. Paul talked about the struggle. Look at Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. That's the struggles of this life, friend. That's what it is. That's right, Carl. I don't call my wife dude. I never have. Look at first, and obviously we've already looked at first John 1, 8 and 9. Ironside. Die, bug. Ironside became so discouraged and confused. That he had to be admitted to a hospital with an emotional breakdown. There he was visited by some godly believers who gave him some literature that refuted the error of entire sanctification. He left the Salvation Army and went on to have a long and fruitful preaching ministry. His testimony can be found in his book, Holiness, the False and the True. I think I read that entire book many years ago. But it is a good book. You should read it. Holiness, False, and True. 
and he corrected an error, and he was corrected and went on to have a, a very fruitful and God-fearing ministry. The next group was is the revival camp meetings that went on. The holiness movement expanded greatly through revival meeting camp meetings during the last half of the 1800s. The National Holiness Camp Meeting Association. We'll look that up here. Holiness. We can find it, huh? Here we go. There it is. It's under the holiness movement. Their Christian perfectionism. Look, Phoebe Palmer and her husband, Dr. Walter Palmer. Give me a break. Jezebels. All Jezebels. I don't know who those Anabaptists were. They weren't the ones that I know of. Anyway. They were wrong. They weren't consistent with Baptist doctrine, too. Or rebuke them sharply that they may be sound. But um, here you have the holiness camp meetings. Even still, the leaders of the National Camp Meeting Association for the Promotion of Holiness generally oppose come outism. They urge believers in entire sanctification, Christian perfection, to remain in their denominations and to work within the holiness. General spirituality. It was formed in 1867 and influenced many. Some meetings drew massive crowds and large numbers claimed to have experienced a second blessing of holiness. We aren't even at Isuzu Street yet. We haven't gotten that far yet. Isuzu Street, we're not, I don't even think I'm going to get through all of this. The Fire Baptized Holiness Church, one organization. Oh, excuse me, let me back up, I'm sorry. There was a fervor of excitement. People were seeking new religious experiences. There was an openness to new doctrines. There was an expect, ex expectation of the soon coming of Christ. Most of the early Pentecostal leaders arose from the holiness movement to the second work of grace. They added yet another crisis experience labeled the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of tongues. Hey, can I tell you about a closet group of women that they wear very long skirts? But they are the boldest and brassiest Jezebels you will ever meet in your life. 
and they wear long hair and they have long skirts and they call themselves holiness. They are brazen Jezebels. And they're from the holiness movement, the Pentecostal holiness movement. I see them out when I'm out preaching. I've had them come up, them and their husbands. Their husband says nothing. And the woman preaches to me. And she preaches to me. I, I have it on video somewhere. She's preaching to me and telling me I'm wrong. Right? And here's where the rise of these women come in. Rumar, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? head? I am. I am a. I, no, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh, uh, not if you think you and your wife are equal. Beta. Because I'll tell you why. Ramar, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? head. I am. I am a. No, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh -uh, Not if you think you and your wife are equal. Beta. Because I'll tell you why. Beta. Ramar, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? Beta. I am. I am a. No, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh-uh, not if you think you and your wife are equal. Beta! Right, beta! So, a bunch of betas got together and let women preach to them. They talked about, uh, they, they put that on equal footing. Right? But those women... Those women were part of that holiness movement. Then you have the fire-baptized holiness church. Precursors to the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement. The fire-baptized. Here you go. Fire baptized holiness church of God of the Americas. Founded by Benjamin Hard Hardwin Harden Irwin and Bishop William Edward Fuller Sr. The Fire Baptized Holiness Association originated in Iowa in 1895 under the leadership of Benjamin H. Irwin of Lincoln, Nebraska. Irwin expanded this into a national organization as the Fire Baptized Holiness Church at Anderson, South Carolina. In August of 1898, at the age of 23, William E. Fuller Sr., a member of the African-American New Hope Methodist Church, attended the founding of that body in 1898. Irwin was originally a Baptist preacher, but was converted to Wesleyan holiness theology. 
and began an intense study of the writings of John Wesley and his colleague, John Fletcher Irwin, was impressed with the Fletcher's doctrine that the believer needs three blessings, conversion, entire sanctification, and a baptism of burning love. Irwin sought these experiences and claimed that he had found them. He called the third blessing the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire, which he said was baptism for power. Following are three points from the Fire Baptized Holiness Association's Statement of Beliefs. They say this, the sanctification is the second definite instantaneous work of grace obtainable by faith on the part of the fully justified believer. The Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire is obtainable by a definite act of appropriating faith on the part of the holy sanctified believer and that the initial evidence of the reception of this experience is speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Jezebels, liars, false prophets, deceivers. Misapplying, misappropriating scripture. What they do. They say, uh, with the, the reception of this experience is speaking with other tongues as the spirit gives utterance. Divine healing is in the atonement. Good night, Ross. Getting too late for you over there. You got to get to Betty Bye. Irwin's meetings were characterized by unruly phenomena such as screams, tongue speaking, trances, holy dancing, holy laughs, and jerking. Want to see some of that? I'll show you. Rodney Howard Brown. Come here. Hand, hand that to, to Rodney. Stand right up here, Rodney. In the name of Jesus. Now, when you get up here, there'll be a message from the Lord. You'll need to stand on one of these steps. I don't know why that is, but stand on one of these steps. When you get up here, there'll be a message from the Lord on your heart. I want you to deliver it to the people. No, 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 on these steps. Now, no, that ain't enough. Good. Yeah, that, that's good right there. Praise the Lord. Praise but this the Lord. is the day, this is the hour, saith the Lord, that I'm moving at this earth. This is the day that I'll cause you to step over into the realm of the supernatural. For many have preached and it's been prophesied of old and said there was a move coming. But oh, it's even now and even at the door. For the drops of rain are beginning to fall of the glory of God. Yes, yes, many of you that have sat on the threshold and said, Oh God, when should it be? Oh, you'll know that this is the day and this is the hour that you'll step over into that place of my glory. But this is the day of the glory of the Lord coming in great power. Did he say Mountain Dew? I thought he did. I'm going to break the mold, say of the Lord, on many of your lives and even your ministries and even that. Uh, oh. <laughs> 
For as you preach my words, even the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that you've seen that happened and taken place in other nations shall begin to take place. And the great dimension of... Well, you silly thing. Well, you... Run, 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 run with the move of God. Run with the move of God. Run. And I'm a Socorro. Revive. And I'm a... Socorro. Come here. What's happening to you? I just feel the joy of the Lord all over me. I can't stand. Huh? I can't stand. Are you, are you a little drunk? Pick him up. Pick him up. Pick him up. Are you drunk? Yep. <laughs> what will your church do if they see you now? <laughs> Laugh with me. <laughs> Lord, let revival hit his whole church. Let revival hit his whole church. Oh, Sephora Diasa. Oh, 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 Sephora Vida. Menena Makalusko, Menena Bakuro. Yana Bakusko, Hori. Ida Pasolo. Oh, 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 Okay, so I have a question for you. When you watch this, besides being a bunch of clowns, here's the thing that you have that I have to ask you. And I did fast forward some of that, so that's why it looked that way, because I don't want you to have to listen to that the whole time. But here's the question I have for you. How does that promote anything holy and righteous and sanctified and set apart? And how does that produce a soberness, a sobriety, a walking by faith, uh, a turning from sin, a strengthening of your of your life, a joy of a true joy of the Holy Ghost, and helping people to get through the trials of their life. How? The answer is it doesn't. It's stupid, foolish nonsense from the pit of hell. Flesh, hallelujah. <laughs> it's in yielding. It's. Has been broken and he will Oh, thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do la glama bebe bebe, dos dos que 
Schelle lagendische Bobola Mangrede bestiedische Gräston und Sundas. The greater realm that you've been seeing all evening long is the stage set before you that I've called you to walk in, and this is only the beginning. It is only the start of the outpouring that has already begun of the former and the latter rain. Keep yourself prepared. Keep yourself in that cleft of the rock and the good presence of the Holy Spirit will come in ways that you'd know not of at this time for the soon. I'm gonna fill your church now because that's what I'm preparing you for. That's why I sent you here. And that's why I'm pouring the rain on you. That's why I'm Brother Richard. Brother, Brother Richard, to come up also. You know, when I was a kid, I'd listen to the fourth man. And every time I think, Brother Oral Roberts, I think if like a diamond on a velvet couch, the city of Jerusalem lies. God, your family was there, but you weren't born at that. Because <laughs> these guys are like, they're like they're like superheroes in their own mind. A bunch of deceit. I believe they have devils. I absolutely believe these people are possessed by devils. I believe they're the worst witches that you've ever seen in your life. Charismatics are the absolute worst witches you ever run. They are the most dangerous. Why? Who is the most dangerous in the Bible? What is the most dangerous? Hey, I have a question for you. Ready? What is the most dangerous doctrine that will take over the entire world? What is it? I'll wait for some of you to answer. What is the most dangerous doctrine that is going to take over the entire world? you to say something to me because it's in my belly as you touch my belly Jesus said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water rivers and it's been moving in me for some time now I'm 75 years and I know that there's one more thing I have to do before my angel comes for me. And only a man of God that's been freshly called can say a word to me now. When you said that, I heard the Spirit of God say, the end is not yet. The end is not yet. These guys literally remind me of Return of the Jedi. 
Like, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi talking to Luke Skywalker. They're just a stinking bunch of lying devils. Thanks there, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. And then Luke Skywalker is going to come along and he's going to get taught the Force. He's going to get taught how to use the Force, how to use the mojo. What a joke. It's just garbage. It's, all, it's from the pit of hell. No, here's what I was getting at. And Christine Seda said it correctly. Antichrist. The most powerful deception that will come on all the world is Antichrist. And even now already is the spirit of Antichrist in the world. So, in other words, basically what will take over the entire world besides born-again people, besides saved people, is the Antichrist. This is Antichrist. That's what this is. Revelation 13 tells us the beast worship, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will take over the world. This is going to take over the world. This is why it's so dangerous and deceptive. For that which I shall do even in these latter days, for this many, for a mighty way, I shall... future is about to happen. What America needs... Stupid. Uh, anyway, so that's the clown show, right? Well, Irwin's meetings. Let's get back to the fire-baptized holiness church. Okay? Irwin's meetings were characterized by unruly phenomena such as screams, tongue-speaking, trances, holy dances, holy laughs, and jerking. Sound familiar? Eventually, Irwin developed even more baptisms such as the baptism of dynamite. Lidite and Oxidite. In spite of his claim to spiritual dynamite, 1900, Irwin stepped down from leadership of the organization he founded and confessed to open and gross sin, which brought reproach to the church. So he claimed an entire sanctification. The baptism of dynamite. Right? Let's see, let me. Benjamin Harden. Here's their history. So he forms his own group, theological distinction struck. It doesn't tell you that the man had to walk away. He had to walk away because he got into sin. Now, any man can fall. 
That's why we pray against it. That's why you and I ought to pray against falling into sin. I do. I pray, Lord, please protect me and keep me. Sin. Keep me from wickedness. Keep me from failing you, Lord. Keep me from failing my wife, Lord. Failing my children, Lord. Failing my, my church, Lord. Please. Please, Father, hold me up. In spite of his claim to spiritual dynamite, 1900, Irwin stepped down from leadership of the organization he founded and confessed to open and gross sin, which brought reproach to the church. Irwin was replaced as overseer of the fire-baptized holiness church by Joseph Hillary King. Then you have Frank, San, uh, Frank Sanford. Okay. He operated a religious community named Shiloh and the Holy Ghost and Us Bible School in Durham, Maine. Charles Parham, which we're going to talk about. Charles Parham, a prominent figure in the early history of Pentecostalism, visited Shiloh for six weeks and eventually tried to model his Bible school in Topeka, Kansas after Sanford's. Shiloh Temple right here. Frank Sanford. Frank Sanford. Right, was a charismatic Christian religious leader of the United States who attained notoriety as the founder and leader of an apocalyptic clique, uh, apocalyptic sect known as the Kingdom. The Dictionary of Pentecostal Charismatic Movement says of Sanford, the author, the publisher, the pastor, the evangelist, the Bible school founder, and utopian, utopian visionary who played a pivotal role in the training of many holiness people who would later become Pentecostals, among them C.F. Parnham and A.J. Tomlinson. Tomlinson. By 1904, more than 500 people had joined Sanford at Shiloh. They donated all of their money and their possessions to the organization and lived communally. The objective was to train and send out missionaries that would operate in miracle power. In the beginning of his ministry, Sanford pastored Baptist churches, but after accepting the holiness doctrine in a Methodist camp meeting, he left the Baptist ministry through contact with the Christian uh, and Missionary Alliance. He accepted the heresy that physical healing is guaranteed in the atonement. Eventually, he adopted the belief that at the end of the age, God would separate Christ's people from the Antichrist by means of signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Sanford was striving to return to apostolic life and power. In 1894, Sanford began publishing a periodical called The Tongues of Fire. Several of Sanford's students claimed to speak in tongues, and it is said that Sanford himself believed in the restoration of tongues, at least until 1901, and that was the year he baptized A.J. Tomlinson and his restored with his restored baptism. Tomlinson later founded the Church of God of Prophecy. Let's 
Sanford eventually claimed to be Elijah, David, and the Messiah. He also claimed to be one of the two anointed ones in Zechariah 4.14. The pledge that 515 of Sanford's followers signed in 1903 included seven points. The fifth point was as follows. Listen to this. I believe not only, this is what he said. This is what he had his, his followers sign. Okay? I believe not only in the Father, the only potentate, and in Jesus Christ, the King, whose millennial reign is to prepare the globe for the great God, but also in the prophet, prince, priest, who is to prepare the kingdom for the Christ. I believe in the man who as a prophet is called in the Bible Elijah, and as a prince is called David, and as a priest is called Shemek, or the branch. I believe that F.W. Sanford of Shiloh, USA tells the truth when he makes the proclamation that God said to him, Elijah is here. Testifying again, I have found David. Word spoken as applying to himself personally. I believe in and accept him as such. The Pledge, the Everlasting Gospel, edited by Frank, Frank Sanford, May 31st, 1904. Sanford warned. That any individual that rejected him is God's messenger. And refused to receive his special baptism would be cast into hell. He said that in the everlasting gospel, November 27th, 1901. He wrote this. When the books are opened, every man, woman, and child that has rejected this man, this movement, this church, and this baptism will be consigned to a lake composed of fire which feeds upon brimstone where the smoke of their torment will ascend up before God forever and ever and will never be shown the slightest mercy. God will look at him and will mock them and say, you mocked my messenger. I told you in my book, I will mock when your fear cometh and I am a God of truth. Sanford goes on to say in an undated pamphlet entitled Scriptural and Authoritative Baptism, he wrote this, There is not the slightest chance for a human being to escape God's wrath, who after having the opportunity to accept this baptism definitely and persistently refuses to do so. Oh, but you say, I've been baptized once. I care not if you've been baptized 20 times. You have never been baptized by the man whom God has sent to herald his coming. And you never can be prepared to enter into the presence of God unless you've had that baptism. This is the guy that preached speaking in tongues. Right? This is that man. Stanford claimed that the kingdom of God promised in Daniel 2.44 was established in Jerusalem in October 2nd of 1902. In 1905, Sanford purchased two boats, a schooner that he named Coronet and a barkentine that he named Kingdom. 
1911, while on an attempted missionary trip to Africa and Greenland, the kingdom was wrecked off the African coast, and everyone was transferred to the coronet. Sanford was in charge, and due to his foolish decisions that he attributed to God's guidance, several of his crew died on the return trip for lack of food and water, and others were nearly dead. The coronet arrived back in Portland, Maine on October 21st, 1911. And by November 1st, a total of nine Shiloh people had died because of the ill-fated missionary journey. In December of 1911, Sanford was charged with manslaughter and sentenced to 10 years in a federal penitentiary in Atlanta. He was released in 1918. By 1921, there were still several hundred people living at Shiloh. But Sanford disbanded the organization and went into seclusion in upstate New York and was rarely seen by the faithful until his death in 1948. That's him. By the way, on a dresser was a copy of the American Standard Version of 1901. It's interesting that in a day when basically only modernists and cultists used the modern versions... The ASV was used by a man who claimed to be Elijah and the Messiah. There was a museum there. David Cloud visited that museum. Gilo there. He saw it. Friend, this is that Antichrist that should come. He was a picture of that Antichrist. What's, what's accompanied with it? Tongues. These are the people that practice tongues before the modern-day Pentecostal movement. That if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise a false, there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Before, behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. They believed him. They got on a ship with him. They said he was Christ. Died. Christ warned about it. Warned about them. Now, I am out of time. But this is the further history of the, of the tongue-speaking movement, the pre-charismatic tongues, before the movement started. We're going to play a song here. We are not going to get to Dowie. We'll get to him next time we cover this subject. Because wow was his place. Wowie Dowie. He was a bad dude. Kind of like Corn Pop. We'll get to him. Okay, not corn pop, but Dowie. Okay. All right. Let's see. That one. 
They say tear that old lighthouse down. You see the big ships, they don't sail this way anymore. So what's the use of it standing around? But then my mind goes back to that stormy night when just in Amen, amen, and amen. Where would this ship be? That's right. All right, everybody. Well, God bless you. And uh, as you listen, lots of information there. And we'll see what we do today. We'll see how it goes. But definitely be uh, about that. Uh, yes, but us uh, pray for our ministry. Pray for the provide for us. There's. Uh, uh, and also, here we have it right here. Uh, if you'd like to give to our ministry, click on oldpathsbaptistchurch.org, oldpathsbaptistchurch.org, okay, and uh, and click on donate. 
Okay, right there. Take you to PayPal, and that guy will yell at you. Uh, give through there. Or if you page, PayPal, Venmo, or Apple Pay. Give through any of those. Right, and uh, otherwise, if you'd like to, down to the bottom of the page, you can mail something to us at 1030 South Highway 3, 557. Can't do anything. I know you can pray for it. So please pray to the Lord. Else's heart. And, all right. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you, by the way, for that, uh, Christine. Say that. All right, everybody. God bless you. Care. We'll